If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to go to Acts, Acts uh, chapter 6. Growing pains. Have you ever held, felt those? Ever had those? Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I was a teenager, young teenager, I remember growing about, it was almost six inches like in one summer. And um, so I grew really fast over that one summer. And uh, I had knee pain, terrible knee pain. So I, I went to the doctor. And because uh, I wanted to play basketball and, you know, uh, can't when your knees are bothering you. And I went to the doctor and I'm like, what, what's, what's the problem, doc? He's like, well, you're growing. Go home. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, that was basically it. You know, it's like, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll take care of itself. And it did, you know. So, um, so what we want to talk about today, this text uh, is helpful in that regard. You know, pain communicates a very important message. I, I read this from author Philip Yancey. He said this, he said, every square millimeter of the body has a different sensitivity to pain so that a speck of dirt may cause excruciating pain in the vulnerable eye, whereas it would go unreported on the tough extremities, right? Um, he says, he goes on to say, internal organs such as the bowels and kidneys have no receptors that warn against cutting or burning, dangers they normally do not face, but they show exquisite sensitivity to distension. When organs such as the heart detect danger but lack receptors, they borrow other pain cells, which is called preferred pain. So this is why a heart attack victim often report pain in the shoulder or the arm. The pain system automatically ramps up hypersensitivity to protect an injured part. And this explains why if you have a sore thumb, it always seems to be in the way, right? But it also turns down the volume of pain in the face of emergencies. This is why soldiers will sometimes report they had no pain from the wounds that they afflicted in battle. And of course, the pain comes afterwards. Uh, pain serves us subliminally as well. Sensors make us blink several times a minute to lubricate our eyes and shift our legs and, and, and body parts to, to, to prevent pressure sores. So he says this, pain is the most effective language the body can use to draw attention to something important. And here we have in Acts 6, uh, something where there's some growing pains of this early church. We've been looking at this series. We've seen how that Jesus had told them in chapter 1 that they needed to, to stay put in Jerusalem because uh, they were going to receive power and, and the Holy Spirit was going to come. And in chapter 2, that happened. And then we begin to see this, this church beginning to build and grow. And we're seeing thousands of people added to this. And we're seeing some persecution. We're seeing some really good things that are happening. There's generosity. There's unity. Then there's the issue with Ananias and Sapphira that we looked at, of, uh, but then how God dealt with that. And so we just see this church growing. And remember, this is all a report that Luke, Dr. Luke, is giving uh, to a man by the name of Theophilus to encourage them, to encourage him and say, you can have certainty that this, this religion of Jesus Christ is true. You, this gospel of Jesus is true. You can have certainty. Here, let me show you how. And so he's unfolding the story here. And we get to this text today in Acts 6 about some growing pains that uh, this early church in Jerusalem was facing. So let me read Acts 6, 1 through 7, and uh, we'll read about this, we'll pray, and then we'll dive into our, our sermon today. Acts 6, 1, it says, In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. 
And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and uh, uh, Perminas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they set, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Um, and that is the reading of the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we want to pause now. We've read your Word, and um, now we're going to talk about it. And we dare not uh, do that without asking for your help. Um, this is your message. This is your Word. And we want to communicate in a way that's uh, what you would have for this. And so over the next few minutes, as I uh, speak from this text, I pray that I would be accurate, clear, and it would be helpful by your Spirit's leading. I pray that uh, the people who have gathered here and who are listening online uh, or watching online, that it would be uh, a time of blessing. I pray that we'd be able to set aside all distractions, personalities, all that stuff. Just, just set aside, God. Help us to focus on you and how good you are. Um, and we're so grateful for this text. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So what do the growing pains of Acts 6, 1 through 7 communicate to Memorial Baptist Church in Verona in 2020? What can we learn from this? Well, I'm going to suggest four realities to consider uh, from this text of Scripture. First of all is this, is that we must remember that success often complicates life. Success often complicates life. Now, what I mean by that is that, you see, what they were dealing with here was uh, the problem was it can be directly tied to the success of the early church's generosity. You remember that in chapter 2, we talked about how uh, Luke records that they were very generous. And in chapter 4, he gives the same summary statement about how that they shared all things in common. And so that they were extremely generous and they were helping people out. But the problem was is that there was uh, uh, a group of people that were somehow, uh, over the course of time, they were getting neglected. And uh, it, was, it was causing a problem here. Um, the need was great, this idea of these widows. So we had the, the widows of the Hellenist group and the widows of the uh, Hebrew group. Uh, they, they, they weren't getting the equal distribution of the daily food provision that was being made there. Now, you have to understand, the need was great during that time. Um, you know, when we typically think of... of of widows, we think of it in the terms of that they, they're not married any longer, they lost their husband. Uh, but in this day, that while that was true, when someone referred to someone as a widow, it was more about their destitution. It was more about that they uh, were severely lacking things. Um, one major study argues that widowhood was more common in this time period than is often assumed, and that most of the widows were terribly impoverished. Some even argue that widows constituted nearly a third of the women in the Roman world. Think about that. One third of the women in the Roman world, one study purports that they were widows. And of that, of that one third of women, 40% of those were between the age of 40 and 50 years old, 
which were considered older back then. And so this was a tremendous problem. And that large percentage of people would have easily overwhelmed the community's resources to care for them. And so the church was stepping in and the church was, was helping out with that. We saw some of that, but you have to understand that there was a, 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 a dissension that was happening. We're going to talk about that here in just a few minutes about who these Hellenists were and who the, the Hebrews were and why that was an issue. But what we need to know for right now is that, that the success that they had of the generosity, the success that they had or that just the expectation that, okay, we're going to care for these people now because we're doing it, the need had grown so much that it was more than what they could manage. And so it became a tremendous administrative problem that had to be dealt with. There's a book called The Trellis and the Vine. And The Trellis and the Vine is, is, a, is a very helpful book. It's, it was written, I want to say, 10 or so years ago, maybe a little bit longer. Don't remember when it was written exactly, but uh, it's not that old. But this was a, a book that was very helpful to a lot of pastors as they were leading their churches. And I remember reading this when it first came out. I've read it a couple times since then. The, the imagery that these two authors use is to show that, you know, in order for a vine to grow, there has to be a trellis, right? Okay, there has to, you have to construct that. And so he says in our ministries, in our church ministries, we have trellis work, we have structures, and we have administrative things that just have to happen in order to make the vine grow. Then there's the vine work, and that's, that's the life-giving work. That's, that's what we want to see growth. We want to see fruit from that. And so, that, so that's what we're aiming for. But the problem happens is that sometimes the vine, or excuse me, the trellis work becomes the main focus of a church. And so they, they're no longer thinking about the vine work anymore. It's all about structures and programs and, and, and things like that. And he says, you know, that's, that's out of balance. But then the other thing can happen too is where there can be the vine that's growing, but the church never adapts structurally to help support that. And so then there's great frustrations. That's what was happening here in Acts 6. The vine was growing, but the structure wasn't in place to support it. And so as a congregation, we have to have both vine, uh, vine work and trellis work. We have to have both. And so what, what we see here is that this was an administrative problem. And so the, uh, the, it, it, when that happens, as we see growth, as we see God answering prayer requests here, which we do, what happens is, is that we need more administrative stuff and we need more day-to-day stuff that sometimes we just can't grow it fast enough with. And so what happens is, is a lot of times balls that are being juggled, one of them will drop or plates that are spinning, one of them will fall crashing to the ground, right? And so, so that's, what, that's exactly what was happening here in Acts 6. We've experienced the same thing in our church and every church I've been a part of has experienced this. One church that I was part of that we helped start, it grew to a point where we didn't grow structurally nearly to the level that we should have with it, and it really hurt us. Other places where we have uh, uh, been too focused on, on a vine work, uh, excuse me, trellis work, and we didn't do the vine work like we should. So the point is this, is that the success of God answering prayers will often bring complications that we need to adjust to. And so we shouldn't be surprised about growing pains. That shouldn't be something that should frustrate us. That shouldn't be something that we take personally or anything. It's just part of being part of a growing ministry. So let me illustrate this a little bit further about what is some of this trellis vine work that I'm talking about here. Well, well he, he, here's some of the trellis work that I see happening in our church. I mean, uh, we had Lisa come up here just a few minutes ago. She talked about the Thanksgiving dinner. 
you know, that's both vine and trellis work. We have, we're reaching out to people, and we're trying to encourage them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in order for that to happen, there has to be structure. In order for that to happen, someone's got to peel the potatoes, right? I mean, we can't go out there and, and give a meal that no one prepared. We can't have a conversation, a gospel conversation, without that opportunity. And so David and Lisa, they're just giving a lot of time, and other people are signing up, and that's part of that structure in order for this to happen. And it's hugely important, and it's massively important. And it's so important that this, this fits into me because I remember a, a couple years ago, we had, you know, Rita did this for many years, and she got to the point where she says, I just can't do this anymore, understandably so. And so we had to turn it over to somebody else. And I remember just thinking, okay, I, I just can't do this, okay, you know, and it was because of this right here. It was like I, I just needed to, to, I couldn't take on this administrative thing. Praise God that David and Lisa said, hey, we'll take, on, take that on. So that's huge, and so we see people doing that. Uh, meals for people. Uh, uh, I, I've seen organically where, uh, you know, people going through a diff- difficult time and, you know, someone's saying, hey, I'm bringing a meal to so-and-so. Someone else want to bring a meal to someone else and for, for that. That is huge. That's, that, that is massive. And it's something that I'm not organizing, which makes it so much better, right? Okay. It, it, because a lot of times it gets focused onto the, the paid staff or whatever. And, and again, we are here to serve and I'm not trying to get out of that type of stuff. But the reality is, is that I need to be in the Word, right? Okay? That, that, that's where I need to be. And not that I never do trellis work. Of course I do. I clean bathrooms and things like that as well. But, but that can't be my focus. And so we have people stepping up and do that. Uh, moving help. Recently we had someone needed help moving. And, and, and a whole bunch of people helped this person move. And that, that's, that's amazing. Um, you know, both Kathy and Emily have, have articulated to me of how much cards and people's notes and stuff have meant to them. That's us doing vine and trellis work together uh, without it being organized by, you know, the, the office or the pastor, which is hugely important. Every week, someone counts the offering and deposits it into our bank account. So all the money, you know, we, we don't have a denomination that supports us, right? So the, the only way for our ministry to exist and to survive is by what we collect in our offerings. And someone uh, every week counts that up, more than one person. We have those safety, you know, accountability things. But we have a couple people that count it, and then it gets deposited into the bank. I have never once, I have never once put a check in that offering box over there and thought, I hope it makes it to the bank. I've never thought that. I put it in there, and I just know it's going to be in there. That's, that, that's huge. That, that's something that we don't have to think about. We just, so this trellis work is often stuff we just don't even think about, but it is so important, and, and I'm so grateful for the many people that are sacrificing each week to do that. We have people tra- uh, tracking giving, if that's what you so do, uh, want, so you can get a charitable receipt. Someone does that all the time. More than one person does it, actually. Uh, people make sure our bills get paid on time. Uh, if you were to walk in here and it would have been dark in here and uh, say, well, why, why don't we turn the lights on? And say, well, we didn't pay the electric bill. You would have been like, what? 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 Why did we do that? But what? Bills get paid here. How does that happen? It doesn't just happen. Someone does that, right? And so we're grateful for that. That's incredible work that happens each week. That includes our missionary support. That includes our staff. So I've been here almost eight years now. And there has never been a time where some one of you came up to me and said, hey, you know, I'm just curious. I haven't heard much. Did you get paid recently? No one has asked me that because everyone just assumes I get paid. And I'm grateful that that's a good assumption, okay? Uh, it just happens, right? 
people do that. They do it all the time, and, and they, they're faithful in that. Our treasurer has been faithful in that for many years. There was one time he gave me the check he didn't sign, though, and so I had to chase him down for a signature. But other than that, he has been perfect. So um, people order toilet paper. We can all be thankful for that, right? Uh, people make sure the doors are open, the heat is on. People make sure that we have bread and juice ready for the Lord's Supper. Uh, people upload sermons and things of like that to our website so that it can be distributed. Did you know, most, most of you probably don't even know that you know about our website, but we also have uh, a site called what's called sermonaudio.com. Some of you may know about that. Probably most of you don't even know about that. But that site, we upload sermons every week to it. And uh, we've had over 10,000 downloads, okay, uh, of our sermons from that site, okay? In just this last month alone, we had 21 states and 11 different countries that uh, downloaded our sermons, right, just in October alone, okay? How does that happen? I preach a sermon and I forget about it, okay? I preach a sermon and I move on to the next thing. But other people, they're the ones that are back there. They're editing that down. And they're putting that, they're uploading that so it can go out. That is tremendous trellis work that is happening in our church that we don't even think about. But as we grow, we have to do more of that stuff. And, and as circumstances change, and so there are some ways that we actually need more help in. And, you know, cleaning the building is one of those areas where we need more trellis workers. Okay, we, we need more people to help with that on a weekly basis, but we also like, you know, this might be a good time to purge out some storage areas, things like that. That is some trellis work that just absolutely has to get done, and uh, we need some help with that. Uh, AV, we're growing in that. We have to adjust with, with what we're doing here, and so uh, we're trying to do different things with the camera angles and stuff like that. We're constantly trying to grow in, in how we make the online uh, viewing more pleasant, uh, and so that's going to require more people at times to, you know, maybe have an iPad and, and, and change camera angles or something like that. So if you're interested in holding an iPad and, and touching some buttons once in a while during the service, talk to Michael, okay? He can train you in how to touch a button on an iPad. He can do it very well, okay? Uh, there's other things that have to, we already talked about Thanksgiving. Uh, so there's, there's trellis work that always has to be done, but I just wanted to say I'm so grateful for what is being done here. But understand that as we grow, there's going to be pain in that. And there's going to be some times where it's like, oh, that didn't work too well. Or that live stream didn't go too well or whatever. That's just the growing pains. And that is not necessarily a bad thing. It's showing that God is blessing. So I've taken longer on the first point by intention. We have three more to go through that will be much shorter here. So the first idea, though, is this, that we, this reality that we can learn from here is that this growing pains that they were dealing with here of needing to get the food distributed, that was a result of God blessing them, and that was a result of them needing to be flexible and grow with it. And so, uh, you know, success often brings some frustrations and complications sometimes. The second lesson that I believe we can learn from this, though, is that we must avoid making frustrations personal. See, that's the problem. Look at the text again. It doesn't say in verse 1, it doesn't say a complaint by the Hellenists arose about the food distribution. Did you notice that? It doesn't say that. It says a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in daily distribution. See, what Luke is recording there is that the problem, the frustration, turned personal, okay? That was the mistake. That is the threat to unity. That's the, uh, where churches can get hurt real bad and real fast, is when frustrations turn personal. 
So we need to avoid that. We need to make sure that as we're growing and as we're you know, adjusting to life and all that stuff, that uh, we don't take these frustrations and these growing pains and make them personal. You see, the threat of this church, it wasn't money or food. It was an us versus them mentality. And so this tension between the Hebrews and the Hellenists. Now, who are these people? Well, the Hellenists, these were Greek-speaking Jews, okay? So these were the people who spoke Greek. Then you have the Hellenists who spoke Aramaic and Hebrew, okay? You have the Hebrews who spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. And so you have a huge language barrier there, okay? And they're all part of the same church. But it wasn't just language. There's cultural differences that these groups are going to represent. And so the way they think and the way they process things and the way they approach life and the decisions they make were different than one another because often how we were brought up or our cultural background, is, it will really influence how we interact with each other and the decisions that we make and things like that. And so this is what was happening here. And so instead of it just being about, okay, we have a group of widows that need more food it became that this was something that was a very personal attack and this was the problem here that was threatening the unity of the church. So we need to understand there's a danger here and that there is this idea of, uh, or the, they began to complain against this. And this, this complaint, this idea here, it's, it's used in other contexts to talk about uh, in a very negative way uh, because we have to understand the, the danger of complaining, the danger of it. Let, let me just show you this one verse here in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, Paul is accounting the Corinthians, and he's, he's, he's telling them what they shouldn't do. And he says, we must not put Christ to the test as some did and were destroyed by serpents. Let me t- put time out here. What is he talking about here? Well, of course, he's talking about what happened with Moses in the Exodus. And remember that as he was leading the people out, they're wandering in the wilderness. This is the people of Israel. And what's going on here is that they began to complain. They began to rise up against his leadership and things like that. It was a problem. There was these uh, serpents that God used to bring judgment to them. And this is the text where then Moses takes the, uh, uh, a bronze pole and a bronze serpent. And he puts it up and lifts it high. And, and this was by God's design. He says, okay, if everyone looks at that in faith and says, okay, I believe that God will save me from this and looks to that, then they will be healed. And so, of course, later on, Jesus is going to talk about this in John 3, how that was a picture of Jesus being lifted up on the cross. And if we look to the cross, then we'll be saved. Okay, so it was a picture before that. That's what he's referring to here, okay? So he says, so we must not put Christ to the test as some of the did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. You see, this is like, don't, don't complain like they did. They were destroyed because of it. He says, now these things happen to them as an example, but they're written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. He says, so if you think that you're above complaining, no, no, no. You, you, you need to be under, you understand that you're just as susceptible to that type of complaining and attitudes as they were. He says, no temptation is taking you that is not common to man. He says, it's common for us to be tempted to complain, but don't do it. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
And so here's this, this text is saying that how serious complaining is. If you're taking notes, write down Jude 16, okay, Jude 16. This is a text, I'm not going to turn there or anything, but, but this is a text where uh, the whole book, and it's a very short book, you can read the whole book in like five minutes, okay, it's very short, and one chapter. And Jude starts there. He says, okay, I was going to write to you about our common need of salvation. It was going to be like this, this theological treatise he was going to write. But he says, but certain people have crept in and, and they're false teachers, and I got to address this. And so he takes his letter that he was going to write about just theology, and then he says, but I got to warn you about this. And so what he does is he begins to describe people who are what we would call apostates or people who are taking people away from God people who are encouraging people not to follow God. And so these are, this is bad news here. This is dangerous stuff, right, theologically. And Jude's saying, don't do this. Jude 16, okay, write that verse down. Jude 16, he describes them. He says, these, talking about the apostates, the ones who are driving people away from God, he says, these are complainers. That's what he said. He said, these are complainers. He says, the people who are just murmuring and everything, complaining, and always, you know, throwing negative thoughts at everything, he says, that is as if people are putting people away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't do it. And so we need to understand the danger of complaining. We need to understand that that, that happens when we're taking the frustrations and we make them personal. We complain about each other and, and complain uh, uh, to each other. Uh, here's an illustration I thought of. It's like... Um, uh, or in talking with someone about it, is, you know, if, if we want to think of church or, yeah, we'll, we'll say church, it's kind of like if we were to use the metaphor of like a, a very good meal, okay? And we want to make it appetizing because it is. It's satisfying. Uh, relationship with Christ is satisfying. And we want to make it appetizing to people, Right? And so that's one of my jobs. Is, I mean, every week I'm trying to look into the text to make sure that, that it's, it's, uh, it's good and it's accurate. And, and I've, I often view what I'm trying to do is create a meal for you on Sundays that you can take home and you can chew on throughout the rest of the week as part of my job. And so I'm so grateful to do that. But let me ask you, if you could help in this way. And here's the metaphor. Please don't spit in the soup. Okay. <laughs> Don't spit in the soup, because if you spit in the soup, no one's going to want to eat the soup, right? Now, what do I, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is that if, if we represent Christ and we represent the church in a way that is almost as if we're spitting in someone's soup, they're not going to want anything part of it. They're not going to want anything to do with it, right? You see, when we take frustrations and growing pains and we make them personal, we complain against each other, we're, we're attacking each other, and we're, we're upset with each other, that is just spitting in the soup, and it is a strategy of the enemy, okay? And so this is, this is where I, 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 I just caution us from this. It's part of Satan's strategy. So he, here's, an, here's an application point before I move on. If you're feeling neglected, as some of these people were, don't, 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 make, don't take it personally. Just talk to us about it. Okay, so if you're like, man, I could really use some help and really use some spiritual encouragement here, really use some assistance here, and no one's talking to me and no one's helping me. Okay, I'm sorry. 
I, I don't know how you got missed. I'm sure it happened. We're all failures here, and I, I understand that. We're all failable, and, and, and we're going to fail at times. I get that. But please, don't take that personally. Just talk to us. And we'll try to make that right. And we'll try to figure out how we can help you. On the other hand, understand that there's going to be some needs that you have that no one is going to be able to help you with that only Jesus is going to be able to help you with. And, and we'll do our best to point you to that and to walk along with you arm in arm. But, but the point is what happens is, is sometimes people, they feel neglected and instead of talking about it, they take it personally and then they walk out or worse, they're complaining and so please, don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, we want to make it right. But notice here the solution to this problem, it was not for them to form separate groups. Did you notice that? It wasn't, okay, Hellenists, you go over here. Hebrews, you go over here. You start your campaign. You start your campaign. We'll put people to help you over here. No, he says, no, we got to figure out this thing together. That's what being part of church is. It's not going and, and starting other groups and things like that. It's working together. You know, right now, we live in perilous times for our church. I cannot, I, I, for churches in general, I, I, I cannot overstate that. And I don't think a lot of people see that. The reality is, is that we live in very precarious times. Um, about how we're going to exit this this whole time period of between all the tension and the, the division of the election, all the confusion and uh, unrest of social justice stuff, all the confusion of the pandemic. We are in difficult times right now. But I, I don't believe it's overwhelming. I believe in Christ we'll be stronger but I am watching the church, not just our church, but the church in general, really internally bleed and lose its influence in our culture by an us versus them mentality that's represented inside the church. You know, the, 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 the wars that go on with all these hot button issues and the, and the comments and the conversations and the name calling and all that stuff, please don't spit in the soup, okay? That, that's, not, that's not the answer here. You know, we're going to have a difference of opinion on stuff. Understood. We're not going to have agreement on it. And that's okay. We can have good, honest dialogue about these things. But understand, take those conversations and don't ever go into the personal realm. Understand that, that, that when you're talking to another believer, this is someone that Christ died for, okay? This is one of the reasons why I love the Lord's Supper here. I love this because there have been times, there have been times where I have been frustrated with someone okay? I know it's shocking, but it happens, okay? There's been times where I've been frustrated with someone, and guess what? I see that person walking up to the table to have the bread and the juice, and you know what I do in that moment? You know what God does in my heart? Oh, but every time is I'm reminded, you know, that person needs grace just like I do. You know, they're going to celebrate that Jesus died for them in their sin. And I'm celebrating the same thing. So, you know, this, this conflict, this irritation that I have, is it really that significant? You see, when I see people at the table together, then I'm like, okay, okay, 
Let's keep it in proper perspective. But it's a lot easier when we're, when we're you know, you don't interact with anyone and, and you're just interacting with maybe a, a post or something like that or, or just harboring a feeling in our heart. It's so easy for us just to, to think about them as like just stupid. I just can't believe they're stupid. But it's really hard to think of someone that they're stupid when they're standing at that table celebrating the fact that Jesus died for them. It's hard for me to look at someone and say, you know, you're just stupid. You see, this is why it's so important to, to worship here at the table and, and see this together. You see, we take things personally and, and we just need, it's, it's hard for me to hold a grudge against someone when I'm singing, you know, all I have is Christ. And I look over and I see my brothers and my sisters who I disagree with, who we may have voted differently or we may have had difference of opinion on so many things. It's, it's really hard for me to be angry with that person when I'm saying they're singing, I, all I have is Christ, and I'm saying the same thing. You see, don't take these things personally. Don't take the frustrations personally. I need to move on. The third lesson I believe from this text is that we need to insist on right qualifications for leadership. Did you notice how they solved this problem? They said, okay, we can't do this because we need to keep the main thing the main thing for us or what our calling is. And we'll talk more about that in the last point. But he said, you know, we need to, to get people to help us with this. And um, we need to make sure that we appoint people. But notice the qualifications uh, that, they, that they had. Uh, and parenthetically, before I get into that, let me just also mention just to tie this together because I'm not going to make a big point about this, but notice that they didn't cast lots here. And remember with the choosing of Messiah, they did cast lots. Okay, there's a change there. What's the change? I believe the Holy Spirit's now indwelling believers in the church. The power of the Spirit has come. And so I think that that's one of the reasons why there. And so we're, we have a little illustration here of we make decisions based on the Spirit's leading now. I see that change that's happened here. But notice the qualifications. It says they need to have a good reputation. They need to be filled with the Spirit. They need to show wisdom. Notice that they didn't say you know, we need to find someone who understands logistics, okay? We need to get someone who understands, you know, how to get the bread and the, and the, and the food out to people. Notice they didn't say, okay, we need to have someone who understands finance, and we need to have someone who knows is really good in shipping and receiving, okay? That's, that's not what they did. Now, again, that's not to say that those qualities aren't valuable. Of course they're valuable, but that's not what they said to look for. They said they got to have a good reputation, they got to be wise, they got to be filled with the Spirit. And these, this is not for everyone that was going to participate in this ministry. This was the people who were going to oversee it. And so the point is this, is that we must, if we're going to appoint people into leadership in the church, we got to insist on the right qualifications, okay? We got to make sure that, that they're having these things. And so for uh, deacons, which just may be a prototype to what later on is going to become a deacon, we have qualifications given to us in First Timothy. For elder, we also have it in First Timothy. We also have it in Titus. We have the qualifications to given. And so let's make sure that when we're appointing leaders, we're looking at the right thing, not just personality, okay? Not just looks, all right? I'm really glad this church didn't base their choice of a new pastor eight years ago on looks, okay? I'm really grateful for that, by the way, okay? All right? But, but the point is, is that we have to have 
uh, uh, right qualities. And, you know, right now, as a church, we're looking at someone who uh, we're, we're looking at adding to our elder team, Michael, right? And we're going to be getting his doctrinal statement here in the next week or so so the church to look through. But we've been talking about this every quarterly meeting, every family meeting. I bring it up. Here we go. Why am I doing that? Because I want you watching him. I want you getting to know him. And you say, well, wait a minute here. I don't really know him that well. Well, then shame on you. Get to know him, okay? I would say, you know, have him over for dinner. But, you know, right now, let's wait on that. But find a way to get to know him. Call him up. Uh, uh, Michael, would you welcome a phone call? Thumbs up. Okay, so he'll take a phone call. He sits across an office from me. He's lonely. Please call the guy, okay? All right? But the point is, is that he, I want you to get to know him, and so many of you already have, but this is what we're talking about here. Right people in leadership that we need to decide on, and it's not just, okay, well, he's a good-looking guy, or, you know, the guy runs to work. Man, that's really cool. He, I like, I'm a runner too. Let's have him on board. No, that, that's not how we make our decisions here, right? And so we must insist on right qualifications for leadership. Spiritual maturity is much more important than professional savviness when it comes to leadership in the church. Now, again, that's not to say that you don't want someone that has business uh, uh, knowledge and stuff helping with the finances as well, but I would much rather have a spiritually wise person who isn't as gifted in the finances looking over that than someone who's super gifted in finances, but they're not spiritually qualified. Because this is what this text is teaching us. Lastly, we need to prioritize the word in prayer. You see, when they say here, the apostles, they say, you know, it's not good that we give up, this is verse 2, the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Understand that serve tables is not a derogatory statement, okay? It's not that at all. You know, it's not like, I can't do that. I'm not going to be a waiter. You know, that's not what they're saying at all. In fact, there is a line of thinking that this tables word is also, and it is used in other places, as a metaphor, not just for the dinner table, but also for the table of changing money, okay, uh, in the temple. And so there's this idea that maybe that's what they're referring to. I don't think so by the context. I think it makes much more sense. They're talking about the food thing. But the reality is, the only reason I bring that up is that uh, this wasn't a hard and fast derogatory statement because it could mean uh, other things as well. Um, so they're not talking derogatory about that. They're not saying they're above those things that are above handing out some bread and things like that. But they're saying what their calling was, where they need to focus their attention, where they need to, to make sure that they keep the main thing the main thing. And so for these people, it was they need to be studying and they need to be praying and they needed to be uh, prioritizing the word ministry. And we try to do that here with how we structure our morning service, right? I talk for a long time, okay? And we talk about the Word for a long time. We sing songs that we try to make sure that they're, they're communicating good, solid biblical truth and things like that. And so we're, this is why we structure our services the way we structure them, because we want to prioritize the Word of God in prayer. Um, we also prioritize the Word of God by how we structure our budget, right? You know, what do we pay for here? How, how do we, uh, where, are we, you know, what are we valuing here? And... Um, you know, to, to have me, I mean, you, you, the church provides a salary for me so that I don't have to have another job, so that I can be free from that distraction, so I can spend time studying and looking at the Word and interacting and praying for you as a congregation and, and, and figuring out how I can teach the Word of God in a way that's helpful. 
And so the church, through their budget, and not just my salary, but other salaries as well. And if you want a good tangible picture of this, you know, that's a picture of my office, right? Which is, which is like the greatest workspace ever, okay? The church has set aside a great workspace for me to work in and spend a lot of time in, right? Uh, a good friend of mine walked in there once and he looked around and he's like, man, churches have been smart started in smaller places than this, you know? Um, I, I took a picture of that the other day because I wanted you to see uh, what's on my table there, on the desk there, on, on the table there. I have, uh, 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 you know, pen, I have paper, I have books, I have a candle, uh, you know, all this stuff. But it, it's a great environment. To I've got windows. Michael doesn't even get windows. I've got windows, okay? I mean, it's just a great environment that the church provides for me for the main purpose so that I can study. And I'm so grateful for that. You know, you see, I wanted to make sure to get some of the bookshelves in there. And, and a lot of times, well, people, when they walk into my office for the first time, one of the first things they say is like, wow, there's a lot of books in here. And I always try to say, it's because I need that much help, okay? And it's true, because they're my tools. You walk into a mechanic's place, and what does he have? He's got a ton of tools, right? And, and so those are my tools, right? But a lot of those, not all of them, but a lot of those, the church has provided for me. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. And so I just want to say that while we have room to improve, I also want to highlight that this is an incredible thing that the church is doing here. That And again, no denominational support or anything. It's, it's us who are supplying these things. And I try to be a good steward of that and try to make sure that we're using these things wisely. And so, you know, people have given me books. Um, the books, by the way, just so you know, that's, that's not, those, those aren't cheap. Okay, I don't know if you can see the really thick book that says Acts there, the really thick one, that is part of a four-volume set, okay, just on the book of Acts. Somebody bought that for me, and that set cost over $200, okay? I mean, I would, there's no, I would never buy that for myself, but somebody gave that to me, and I'm just so incredibly grateful for that. And you are benefiting. That quote I quoted earlier about all the, the, the widows and the statistics and the study, that came from that commentary there. The reason why I'm taking time to point this out today is I want to show you that there's trellis work that has to be done. And you're doing it. And we got to keep doing it. And we got to do more. And I'm so grateful for it. And there's vine work that needs to be done. Um, and the priority of the word of God in prayer you're doing this, but make sure it carries into your personal life as well. The priority of the word can't be reduced to, I'll help with the budget for church so Jeremy has some good books to read. You need to prioritize the word in your own life as well by reading it, by applying it, by living it out. So let me give you four questions to ponder as we bring this to a close. First of all, I just want you to ask, how am I contributing to both trellis and vine work? You see, some we're naturally drawn to one or the other, okay? Um, but we really all need to be doing a measure of both. Your giftedness may be more in tre trellis work and the structures and things like that, the, you know, behind the scenes stuff, do it. But don't say you don't have any vine work to do either. Some people may be more vine work, you know, teaching, preaching, studying, things like that. Oh, man, this is great. But that doesn't mean we never do the trellis work either. So how are you contributing to both? 
ask yourself, am I letting frustrations become personal? Understand that that leads to confusion, that leads to disunity, that leads to pain. Who might we be neglecting? Think about that. Okay, they were neglecting the certain group of widows here. Who might we be neglecting? Is there a segment of people in our church that just are not getting the spiritual nourishment and spiritual encouragement and the, the help and support that they need? Are we missing it? And so if you see that, you've got you, you to interact with us on that, okay? Uh, we're not omniscient. Uh, every leader, all the elder team, deacon team, we're all fallible, okay? We're going to miss stuff. So if you see how we're missing something, let us know. How am I prioritizing the word and prayer. How am I prioritizing that? Those are four questions that I'd like you to ponder. Um, and then we're going to go into the Lord's Supper here.